Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Please be seated. Please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22. This sermon is going to contain a lot of passages of Scripture. We're going to be turning pretty quickly through, so you need to be able to see a Bible for this to really mean something to you. We're going to be in the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says that we're to rightly divide the word of truth. That's very interesting. I don't know uh, the number of ways that that might be applied, but I know one that has to be true, which is that we need to understand the different divisions of Scripture. And the way that we typically do this, and I think justifiably, is to talk about first the patriarchal age, the Mosaic age, and the Christian age. Now, don't let that confuse you, of course. Patriarch just means that God communicated his will through the fathers. And you go through Genesis, book of Genesis, into Exodus, and you have the patriarchal age. So Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob has his family, and God has the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, make a great nation. They come into Egypt, 400 years, and they come out, and God right then gives them a new law. No longer is it going to be the patriarchal dispensation or patriarchal law time, it's going to be now for the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, it's going to be a new law. And that helps solidify them into a nation. And then, of course, Colossians 2 and 14 says, there's a time when that old law was nailed to the cross. And so we are under the Christian dispensation or the Christian law. James chapter 1 and 25, it calls it the perfect law of liberty. We need to rightly divide the word. If we don't, we just get all messed up. And so as an introduction to this discussion tonight, you you think about the kinds of things that that religions might do while pulling out things that they like from the old law, maybe from the Levitical, Levitical priesthood. And we want to have a clergy class and we want them to dress up. And so we might justify that with the old law of Moses, or, or, or maybe we would draw from circumcision and we would say, so infant baptism is good. And you see the point, that people, people do the wrong things because they fail to appreciate that we're not under that law anymore. However, 
Tonight, I want to talk about something specifically from that old law in Deuteronomy. I want to talk about family laws. I I just think that this is a, it's not a complicated study, but I think it's a fascinating study to see the kinds of things that God exacted on the people of Israel in this law. Now, bear in mind, the law of Moses was a religious law and a civil law at the same time. Each of these laws that we're going to read tonight fall into one of three categories. Either it's something which isn't specifically applicable to us. I mean, and I'm thinking right now about some of the sexual laws that exacted the death penalty. That is not applicable to us in that way. We do not have that death penalty in the new law. Or secondly, it's something that that isn't specifically brought over into the New Testament, but by principle, there's principles there that live on. Or number three, it's something that is brought over and it's explicitly stated in the New Testament. So you'll find all three of those in this list of scriptures. I want to divide these family issues and these laws that we're going to read into four categories tonight. We're going to talk about sexual laws before marriage, and there will be about five different ones of those. Then we're going to talk about choosing a marriage partner and about marriage itself. Then we're going to talk about divorce and remarriage, and the last one will be child rearing. So I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of the passages. So let's, let's start with laws regarding sexual purity. I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. The first thing is respect for the difference between the sexes. Now, I want to remind you that Romans 15 and 4 says the thing's written aforetime, and he's talking about the Old Testament law. Surely it's included in that. They were written for our learning. Now, let's draw lessons. So it may not be that these things are explicitly applicable to our lives, and we talked about some of that, but, but there are principles here that he intended for us to draw. We need to learn from the Old Testament law. All right, so here's the first one. Respect for the genders, respect for the sexes, that there are two genders and that they're distinct from each other and that God meant for it to be like that. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, you, you draw a line probably from there over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you have a discussion there about how the women are not to look like the men in reference to their hair. And then you, you would draw a line perhaps to there, and you go over to Romans chapter 1 or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, and talk about homosexuality. I'm telling you, God's not going to have any part of that. God will not have it. And, and here's something as he tries to protect this nation of Israel going into the promised land. He, um, he makes this very explicit law. I do not want a woman to dress any, in any way like a man. When you look at her, you need, need to be able to say, that's a girl. And when you look at him, you need to be able to say, that's a boy right there. That's a man. And I can tell the difference by looking. All right, here's the next one. Go to chapter 22, same chapter. Drop down to verse 13. When you marry, it's important to marry a virgin. 13. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct. Now, the conduct described here is that he married her believing that she had never had another man. Upon marrying her, he discovers something different. 
that that's not really the case and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detests her. Now, he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter. Can you just imagine how embarrassing this whole scenario is? And now her new husband is bringing charges against her, and that rather publicly. And her father says, I don't believe it. He's charged her with shameful conduct, 17, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and punish him, and they shall find him. So what if it's not true? What if, what if he's mistaken and it's not true? They shall find him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. In other words, you you better think really hard before you bring an accusation like this against your new wife. But if the thing is true, and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. In other words, when she was under his roof, she was carrying on these kinds of things. Promiscuity. And look at the last line here of this verse. So so you shall put away the evil from among you. Now, Romans 15, 4 says these things are written for our learning. What do you draw from this? And the answer is that God is really serious about the sexual relationship. It is so easy for young people to underestimate the psychological and the spiritual ramifications of this act. And God meant it for marriage. What do you draw from this? I'm talking about the death penalty here. And if it's discovered that she's been promiscuous in her teenage life, in her young life before she married, and now she's brought shame on her family, it was the death penalty. You say, that's awful. Aren't you glad that that doesn't exist today? Well, maybe so. I can tell you this. The same Old Testament, same Bible that has the Old Testament also has the New. In the New Testament, Galatians 5, 19 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, would also condemn the practice of sex before marriage. So what I want you to get from this is that this is, I mean, it all sent chills over us. God God was really serious about this. I doubt that you had a lot of occasions where these executions were carried out because the threat of this would be so horrific. Imagine a man having lost a daughter because of this. How, how, Awful that would be. Um, All right. Let this impress you with the seriousness of saving yourself for marriage. As I like to say, remember, if you eat your cake today, you'll have a crummy tomorrow. All right. Here we go. I want to start now. Let's go to verse 22. Now we talk about adultery. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband then both of them shall die. 
the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So, and here's the reason for that. So shall you put away the evil from Israel. He knew if the families weren't right, if the marriages weren't right, that what would happen is the whole nation would eventually fall. There wouldn't be any distinction between them and the Canaanitish nations among whom they lived. And so, so he, he exacts this very, very forceful law that adultery would exact the death penalty. I do not know. But I expect there were a few occasions where a man committed adultery or a woman committed adultery. I know that we had occasions we haven't talked about, but you talk about people who are living in a culture and a law where this is going to be carried out and they know it. It's going to help keep Israel pure. Now, gentlemen and ladies, bear in mind that you and I worship the same God tonight. The death penalty is not exacted for adultery. But I can tell you this. When God says in Galatians 5 and 19 and following that you can't go to heaven as an adulterer, I'm telling you, he'll, he'll send us to hell. He would do that. All right, let's go to the next one. This is about rape. Here's the law. And, and, and this, this law is woven with mercy. And what should a judge do when he gets a case like this? And how should he carry out this case? The verdict. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband... And a man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. But, so you have, in other words, this is a consensual action. If, if that occurs, it's consensual, then the answer is the death penalty for both of them because you can't let this go on. Why so strong? Why so strong? And the answer is that God's trying to keep the evil out of Israel. And he's trying to teach us a lesson that we could talk about tonight in this auditorium, which is God's real serious about this. So if you find that you have a man and a woman and they are intimate and they're discovered, and it was consensual, then both of them should die. But what if that's not the case? Verse 25, if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. Well, hold on a minute. What difference does it make if they were in the city or in the country? Read on. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. There's a difference in a man who kills his neighbor accidentally and one who does so deliberately. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. In this case, the woman gets the benefit of the doubt. It's assumed that if this act occurred in the country, she gets the presumption of innocence that she did cry out and nobody could hear her. So she's considered innocent. If it's in the city and she doesn't cry out where people would hear her, then it's assumed that she's guilty. That is a consensual act. 28, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, let's see, I'm sorry, verse 27 is the last one of that one. Now, I want you to drop down to 28, and this one is fornication. And we've talked about that some already, but get this. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, 
Then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver. So you have a consensual act here, and, and it's discovered. He pays dad 50 shekels, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. Okay, so these two young people, they're in love with one another, and you have a consensual sin that goes on here, and God knows that if, if you have a culture that, that turns loose of the sexual laws, sex is such, a, such an emotional and spiritual act, I'm quite sure we'd have, we have no idea about the significance of it in our psyches. And he knows that he's got to put a stop to this quick. And so this, he exacts this tremendous punishment about a violation of this sexual law. And in this case, it's really interesting to me. I've had, during, during my preaching life, I've had a, some occasions where the question would be asked, and sometimes it's about a couple, and they're dating and they're planning to get married. She becomes pregnant. And the question is, shouldn't we hurry up and get married? Or sometimes it's hypothetical. And so, isn't it right that if a pregnancy occurs, that what has to happen is a marriage? I don't believe that's right. I don't think that necessarily follows. The fact is, they may not be bound by anything much in the heart. They were, they were bound by lust, not by love. And you could create even more problem than you started with. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't, I don't follow that logic. Furthermore, it's not like it was in the Old Testament because I want you to see that the law could bind that they haven't the, the, the prerogative of divorce. In other words, if, if you have been with this girl and it's discovered, you're going to have some shame because you've got to pay dad some money because you've hurt their family name and all of that. But in addition, you cannot divorce. You, she's going to be yours. Now, you think that would give a young man pause to think about that? before he committed some sin? You think that would give her pause? All right, let's go to chapter 7 now. Deuteronomy chapter 7, I want to start in the first verse. This is laws about getting married, about getting married. And there's great specificity here too, and I, I think it's just very interesting. Here we go. Who to not marry? There are people I do not want you to marry. You know, it looks like whoever you fell in love with. That's kind of the philosophy people have today. If you fall in love with them, you should marry them. No, that's not what, that's not what God's going to say. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, that's the land of Canaan, of course, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them. And utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. See, this would be the opposite of destroying or running them out. You shall make no covenant with them, nor shall show mercy to them. That's got to be your spirit. Now, here's what God was worried about. Verse 3. Here's the concern. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son... This is a bit redundant. He's really trying to nail this down. Nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You suppose that's true? You have any evidence in history that that's true? Oh, my. You think about King Solomon. 
The women he married turned his... Who, who could believe that King Solomon could be drawn away? But he, he was to idolatry, and it was attributable in the Bible to these wives, these foreign wives. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillows, cut pillars, cut down their wooden images, and bring the carved images, burn them with fire. All right, who not to marry? It wasn't. This wasn't a prohibition. You remember Moses married a Cushite woman, an Ethiopian woman, and Miriam fussed about it. God got on to Miriam instead of to Moses. It wasn't wrong for him to marry this Ethiopian woman. I don't know what that had to do with. I suspect it had to do with pride in Miriam. I don't know, but it wasn't a matter just that she was from a different land. The prohibition here is about the Canaanite people and because of their idolatry. And It's all about spiritual things. Who should you marry? Who is it okay to marry? And you say, well, this, this man, is, he's just, I just love him so much. He's just wonderful. But he's not a Christian. There is that one thing. Be sure you marry a Christian. Be sure you marry a member of the Lord's church. Be sure you marry somebody who's a member of the Lord's church that really is faithful, that really loves God. And, and if, if we need to talk about the signs of that, how you can tell that, I'll be happy to do that with you. All right. Let's go to the next one. Chapter 21 now. I want to go back to 21. I want to be in verse uh, 10. Chapter 21 and verse 10. Now, this is about marrying a captive woman. That is, not that you, you have been captivating to her. That's not it. This is if you go to war and you, and you, you keep the women and you bring them home with you and you say, I think I'll have her. When you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand, you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife. Now, it would just be real easy to say, she's, uh, she's like cattle. I mean, I want her and all that, but she's just, she's just a woman from this nation we defeated. I saved her from death and so I should be able to do whatever I wanted with her, Right? And God won't have that. He wants, if you do this, he wants you to respect her. Twelve, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house. So it's not a slave situation. She's going to be your wife. Remain in your house, mourn her father and her mother a full month, after that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. Then it shall be if you have no delight in her. What if you change your mind? Kill her. Oh, no, that's not it. Then you shall set her free, but you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally because you have humbled her. Very interesting. What's he trying to do? He's trying to build some character in these people of Israel. Trying to build character. Now, you, you're going to go to war, and you may take these people captive, but if you take one for your wife, you're going to treat her like she's a good woman, like she is your wife, and you won't mistreat her. All right, now let's drop down to verse 15 and regulate polygamy. Talking about getting married, and what about regulating polygamy? It's interesting to me that God doesn't prohibit polygamy, but he regulates it. And the fact is... God never wanted polygamy. God allowed polygamy. And you can, 
you can figure that out. But but what I know for sure is that it never turned out well. It never did. 15. If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, the specificity of this is very interesting. It's because, you know what, this is going to happen. And they have borne him children, both the loved one and the unloved. And if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. All right. You may not love his mama as much, Leah, right? Like Leah, Jacob. But the firstborn ought to be respected. You're the one who married her, and you're going to take the responsibilities attached to that, and you're going to treat her just as you should. You've got to do that. Now let's go to chapter 24 and verse 5. Here's the honeymoon rule. The honeymoon rule. When a man has taken a new wife, I like this one. I think this is a great one. A man has taken a new wife. He shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. All right? For a year. And uh, do you suppose that after a year she's kind of glad to see that he's got things to do? I don't know. but, But I know that the law says... Don't you be taking him away. I, occasionally, uh, I'll hear about some problems in a marriage, and when I start asking questions to try to figure out what's going on, why, the first thing is, and I, I had such a, uh, an example the other day, and somebody you don't know, and uh, he, was, he was gone from home more than he was at home by a long shot. He was gone for long periods of time. And they were scratching their heads. Why are we having trouble in our marriage? Well, there was an answer for that. And, and the honeymoon rule was, you're going to give him a year, and he needs to be left alone to make his wife happy. Now, let's go to chapter 25 and verse 5. If brothers dwell together... Now, this one is the Leveret Law. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies, and he has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. That's the lever at law, and, and it protected these families. It protected these women whose husbands have died. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to take up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, 
and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name should be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. All right, number three. Let's talk about divorce. Now, this takes us to chapter 24 again, and now verse 1 of chapter 24. In Matthew 19, before we read this, in Matthew 19, Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And it's one of the plainest passages from our Lord's lips on the subject, and so it's often referenced. The question that the Jews brought to him was this. Is it lawful to put away your, your spouse for any reason, your wife for any reason? And Jesus doesn't, doesn't go to, to Deuteronomy 24 first. He goes all the way back to the garden. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh? Therefore, they're, they're not two. They're one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. But then they, they ask this question. Why then did Moses command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? Well, that was an overstatement. It wasn't that Moses commanded it, but he, he did permit it. And Jesus is going to say, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries him, which is put away, or her, which is put away, commits adultery. The reference that they made about Moses and what Moses commanded about marriage and divorce is Deuteronomy 24. Let's start with first verse. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, that's ambiguous, and he writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband, the second husband, detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband, her first husband, who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. There's the rule. Now, what's what's that about? What does that do? And the answer is, I think it gives real pause to, to the business of divorcing your wife. Now, he allowed it. He allowed and gave permission for divorce and remarriage here. Why? Well, Matthew 19, because the hardness of your hearts. I assume that what that means is that, that they were apt to mistreat, brutally mistreat the women. And that was a worse problem, and God didn't want that to happen. And so the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But I, I will say this. The old law then made people slow down. You slow down because if you leave this one and you marry somebody else, You can't come back to the first one. You can't. Are you sure this is what you want to do? You can't change your mind and come back. Now, when you get to Matthew 19, Jesus changed that. Listen to verse 9. Whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, listen closely, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. What's prohibited is not marrying the first one. 
It's marrying someone else under these circumstances. So there you have the law concerning divorce in Deuteronomy. And, and it's an example of how that, that Jesus straightened things out. There, there were things in the old law that were made by concession by God. But when you get to the New Testament law, you get to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is prone to say, you've heard that it was said this, but I say to you. And folks, we're, we're under a new law. We're under a different law now. What's the old law for? It was to prepare people for Christ. Galatians chapter 3 says it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now we're under that law. And in reference to marriage and divorce and remarriage, what we've got to listen to is the teaching of Jesus Christ. All right, let's do one more and then we'll be done. Chapter 19, beginning in verse, um, let's see. No, I want to go to chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. And I want to talk about children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, now folks, I want you to read this with me. And those of you who are parents, I want you to draw this deep into your hearts. This is about how we train up our children to be faithful to God when they leave our houses. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That is to say, and I, I must ask you the question, in your home right now, is it the case that you talk about the Lord through the day? And what we need to do is to not waste opportunities. When we see illustrations about things that God is doing, we need to raise it with the children. They need to grow up in a home where, where it's not at all uncommon for people to talk about the Lord. It's not at all uncommon to talk about what the Scripture says about this or that or about how good God is to us. It's not at all uncommon at all for us to pause and pray. That's just what we do, and that's what's taught here in this old law. All right, that's the end of my list. I want you just to pause for a minute with me and remember that Romans 15, 9 says, these things were written for our learning. Some of them are not explicitly applicable, such as the ones about exacting the death penalty. Some are, are applicable in principle, and some of them are directly brought over into the New Testament. They're taught there too. But what I know is that the summation of this discussion has to be that we draw lessons I know some things relative to marriage that God's very serious about. And I learned that first from the Old Testament. I wonder if there's someone here who wants to obey the gospel. If you're ready, we'll, we'll be so happy to assist you in doing that. Or if you need the prayers of the Christians now, would be such a good time for that. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you have a wonderful week. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. Brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.